Hannah sat alone on the back seat of the polished black car, her battered suitcase on her lap, the world outside only dimly seen through the misted windows. The engine, cooling, made an odd ticking sound, but otherwise there was silence, until she heard crows calling. She cleared a porthole in the condensation with her glove. The landscape was entirely flat, but upside down, the sky grey and sooty, while the snow-covered fields seemed to pulse with a gentle current of inner light. Her breath kept obscuring the scene, so that she had repeatedly to wipe the glass clear, each time noting another visual detail, a lone willow, a string of telegraph poles running to the horizon, a stretch of water-filled ditch, the surface glazed with ice as if by cataracts. Setting the case carefully down, she slid across the leather seat and cleared a circle in the window on the opposite side of the car. Mr. Hassard, the driver, was smoking by a mailbox mounted on a metal post. When they'd come to a halt after the journey north from London, he'd wound down his window and sounded the horn, and Hannah had counted out the triple echo. He'd done it again before switching off the engine and getting out, his shoes making a brittle crunch in the snow. They'll be here soon, he said, although who they were had not been clear. Hannah was inured to these moments, when the adult world seemed to require only that she sat quietly and waited politely for the future to unfold. She watched Mr. Hazard throw the cigarette away with an impatient gesture, stamping his feet, looking towards a house in the distance that stood half a mile away at the end of a rutted track. Hannah read the sign that hung from an iron arm on the mailbox. Swan House, Mazurek. Mr. Hazard came back to the car, threw open the door and pressed down on the horn, the cigarette hanging from his mouth. We'll have you warm and safe soon, he said, checking his watch. When he'd come to the chateau in Poland to fetch her, the car was black again but smaller, battered and dusty. He'd taken her hand and said he was Mr. Hazard with one S and that he was her provisional guardian. His duty was to collect Hannah and take her to Paris where further decisions would be made about her future. They had driven for three days, skirting towns where it was possible, but where they couldn't, edging through streets full of rubble, past sullen crowds, gathered around bonfires against the cold. The fires carried ash up into the sky, and Hannah watched the rising smoke, craning her neck to see the clouds, while everyone else seemed hypnotised by the flames. When Hannah wasn't asleep on the back seat, she sat next to Mr. Hassard, who asked her gentle questions she couldn't answer. There was something wrong with Hannah's memory. The last year, which she'd spent in the caretaker's cottage on the estate, was vivid, from the swans on the frozen lake at Christmas to the rabbits running from the last stook of hay at harvest time. But back beyond these images, there was nothing. The first six years of her life were lost, and when she was urged to see into that darkness, she had to look away, although she never cried. They reached Paris. 
a pale city where all the buildings had been arranged in squares and around parks or along wooded streets, and all the fountains were dry and full of snow. The apartment was on Rue de l'Ambre and had so many mirrors and tall windows, Hannah felt constantly unsure if she was looking at the real world of rooftops and drifting smoke or its reflection. The rooms were bare, but the plaster was ornate and depicted swans, just like the ceilings at the chateau. Mr. Hazard came each day and explained that he was waiting for what he always called instructions. A tutor visited in the afternoons to teach Hannah English and French, but she still thought in German, although some of the few words she said out loud and unbidden were Yiddish, words she was urged to forget.' 